<laughs> You're smiling. <laughs> All right, everybody. I'm smiling because I'm giddy like a little schoolgirl because we have another episode of the Legitimate Podcast. Coming to you here on November 25th, which is hard to believe November is basically over. I know I said last podcast, November was halfway done. This is just a little crazy. Time is flying. So, Jeez Louise. As you all know, we have myself, Mike Miller, with Double Bed Axe Company. We have Roy Scott with Vintage Axe Works here with the podcast today. So uh, we got a lot to talk about. This is a loaded podcast, all kind of topics. Uh, this is going to be really awesome. So make sure that you guys stay tuned, listen to the whole entire thing. I'm very, very excited about this. Um, so we got a couple announcements that we're going to get through today. Uh, we got what Roy and I have been sort of working on here the last week, what we got coming up this week. Um, we have our topic that we're going to be talking about today, which we will get into. We're going to take a couple questions. You know that we're going to have the pro tip of the week. And just the tip. Just the tip. And then uh, we got another special announcement at the end of the podcast, so make sure that you stay tuned for that. So that's your basic one-off summary right there for what we have going on. I believe this is episode 18. I think we this is should, we, we should stop saying what number it is because I, I don't even know. Like, we're going to get it all jacked up one day. Just, just stop talking, Mike. Just stop talking. It's the next episode. That's it's all you need to know. The next episode. <laughs> so... Um, Let's get into our first announcement. So, obviously, the last couple of weeks here, myself and Roy have been on the podcast. Mr. Chris Killinger has not been able to join with some scheduling conflicts. The guy is tremendously busy. He's got a lot going on. Um, as I like to say, he is busier than a one-eyed cat trying to watch three mouse holes. Oh my God. So, he, he's been all over the place doing a lot of things. So, we've had some talks and some discussions. Uh, Mr. Killinger is no longer going to be on the podcast, and this is by his own choice. Uh, the guy, like I said, has just been so busy. He's got a lot going on. He has his job, the family, and the new house. And as we all know, he's got the goats. Goats are. <laughs> goats what are, are their names? Harry and, and Sniffles or something like that? Sniffles sounds. Or Scruffy or. I want it. Was Barry? Was Barry one of them? Not Billy. Billy's obviously too cliche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like Harry and... It was like Sniffles the Watchmaker and <laughs> Barry, the, Barry the, I don't know, lamppost eater or something. I don't know. I met them. I met the goats. Let me tell you, they are way bigger than what I thought they were. I mean, they, they are huge in my goat eyes. I don't know how big goats get. I'm not that familiar with goats. Um, but so, yeah. anyways... We are yeah. we are we are sad to say that Killinger will not be with us on the podcast. However, that doesn't mean that we will never hear from him again. The door is open. He will be back on the podcast at some time. Uh, we need our Norland expert. We need our go oh. expert. So he will be back. So don't worry, people. But for the foreseeable future, it's going to be myself and Mr. Roy Scott. So live it up, yo. So Chris Killinger, if you're out there listening, and I know you are. We miss you, and we wish you all the best of luck. You're welcome back anytime. Love you. <laughs> so, um, what we um, speaking of Norland stuff, whenever we get into our topic, we need to circle back to the stuff that Chris got that shared, he shared with us. I, whenever you said he's our Norland guy, I totally, I totally forgot that. And yeah, it also so plays really well into what we're going to be talking about here uh, a little bit later on. So, 
Um, that being said, what has Mike Miller of Double Bit Axe Company been up to as of late? Busy, 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 as we all have been. First of all, I want to say happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Obviously, uh, we won't get that chance because our next episode will be after Thanksgiving. So hopefully everybody enjoys a lot of turkey, a lot of ham, whatever you guys are into. I know uh, it's my favorite holiday, my favorite time of year, because I get to wear my fat pants. So I really <laughs> I enjoy that. I wear my fat pants every day. <laughs> I, re- I, I take it up another notch. If we're talking about next level, Oh, fat pants goes to a, to a new level this this upcoming Thursday. Uh, but just real quick, real busy. I want to say thanks to some guys here that um, that I know. Obviously, we've been communicating, reaching out. So, Mr. Brandon Roost uh, sent me a Miller Light hat and also a thing of cheese from up in Wisconsin. So, thank him uh, very much. I appreciate that. Oh, I'd like to. I'd like to thank him also. He sent me a really, really nice car. He sent Britt and I a really nice card and a, yeah. a, a wedge of cheese. Um, I've just been a little busy, and, and I wanted to call him, but I just I haven't even gotten around to it. So, Brandon, sorry I haven't called you, but love you. Thanks. Yeah, very much. Uh, thanks, stand-up guy, and uh, really enjoy that, especially the hat. I'll be wearing that now. That'll be my new go-to hat. Seeing that some people on this planet, for whatever reason, don't like beers like Miller Lite. Anyways, oh God! Moving on and keeping with the Miller, Miller train, we had a Mister uh, Nate Trueblood, or as I like to call him, Nate First Blood. Um, he sent me an actual knife set, a knife set for Miller. Um, just sent it to me out of the blue. He said, "Hey, give me your address," and you know, I'm like, "Hey, what are you sending me?" You know, nothing, no nudes or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing I know, I get this I get this knife set sent to me. Awesome, made for Miller. Um, very uh, very good quality. Looks awesome. So big thanks to him, and uh, we are definitely going to appreciate that a lot. Uh, Chase, that's really cool. Oh, it was awesome. I'll put some pictures out there of it. Um, very very cool. Next one is a guy by the name of J C Messer. Whoop whoop. Uh, he does leather, if, if anybody doesn't know that already. So him and I were in some communication, and I talked to that guy. He's absolutely hilarious, good guy. And I said, hey, listen, um, obviously, you know, I'm in the shop here, stuff like that. I need a leather apron. Can you hook a guy up? And I said, just I don't need anything that's you know going to make me Mrs. Universe or anything like that. Just give, give me an apron. Needs you know be functional. He sends me this apron, and I'll put pictures out there on Instagram. It is absolutely awesome has really oh the big eight it has this patch right in the middle it's got all the you know shoulder straps straps going around the back top notch way over the top i mean basically i just needed like it's something canvas with like a belt or something <laughs> and he he sent this thing it's way over the top top that's notch. Co- that's called a dress <laughs> well wouldn't be my first time um <laughs> Shit. but so big thanks to mr messer um I will definitely repay him with some axes as agreed upon that I'll get sent back to him. And then real quick, lastly, a Mr. Dave Dennis, uh, we worked out a trade. He sent me an old, old, old wooden axe crate marked Lippincott from Hubbard and company. Really? It, it is old. So I, I don't know this for a fact, but upon my first inspection, it looks like it is pre-American Axe and Tool, which would put us pre-1889, 1890, somewhere in that area. So it is old. It's Jeez. awesome. Um, put that in uh, with all the other stuff that I got. But it's it's going to look great up on the wall there. 
somewhere. Yeah. It's going to be a great conversation piece. So thank you to so, Mr. Dave Dennis. Kelly ran that Lippincott line for a, a long time. They, uh, I know I've got, I've got a Lippincott double bit. Um, I don't think it's got bevels on it, but it's just got that classic, like it was going down the line and someone stamped Lippincott on it. It could have been stamped Flint Edge. It's not a Kelly Perfect, but like, it's just that classic Michigan where, uh, I mean, it's got true temper Lippincott Kelly works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Lippincott is one of those lines similar to like Red Warrior that has just evolved over the course of time as it got ate up by the different companies and mm-hmm. it still went on and went on. So you will see Lippincott um, named, stamped, listed a lot of different ways, um, but its original doings it's a, was actually in Pittsburgh with, with Hubbard. Isn't it a guy's last name or am I thinking of something else? I think it's his last name. That could uh, be. I, I don't, I don't I can't remember. remember. Yeah, right off the top of my head, but um, it doesn't matter. Other than that, big thanks to all those guys I just mentioned. Uh, let's see, shipping out four axes here today for Double Bit Axe Company, and get what? Some what are you stuff. getting rid of? Oh, just some pieces, just some pieces. Whoa! Uh, now, what are you getting rid of? I need just, to know this. Just some pieces. That's all. Um, so we got four of those going out today. Actually, you can't uh, just gloss over some pieces. Just give yeah. me an idea. There is a uh, there's a Hoffman Hoffman single bit. There is a Bingham broad axe, and then there is the 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 pair. Really sort of pained me, but I we made the deal, and it was the Minnesota Chief double bit and single bit are going out. So we got those four. We got Dave Dennis's. He's got a Keen Cutter Boys axe going out for the Lippincott box and. Uh, Get those things all sent out today. A couple other things going out later in the week. So, double bit. Dang. A little bit busy. Dang, dude. You're see, see, what I, see what I did there? Bit for bit. See? Catch I, w- I no. wasn't paying attention. I'm, I'm looking at this Kelly book. <laughs> I'm looking for a lip and cut. I'm a, oh, whatever. I'll find it later. I'll find it later. So, <clears throat> that's been about it here. What do we have going on? as we call it, in the Dirty South. Oh, my goodness. Um, I cranked out that flying axe order for six trophies. Um, Whenever I'm in production mode, I mean, I think I mentioned this uh, last week or whatever. It's not super fun doing it, but it's – I just – you know, I get into just process mode. Here's this, here's this, here's this. Um, and, you know, I'm working with several different parts and pieces. You got the handle, the head, then the wedge. Um, and I'm kind of doing them all independent of each other. But whenever you finally marry everything up, hang it, get the wedge all pressed in there super tight like prom night, I mean, it's just makes you feel really good. Um, it's, it's just really rewarding. And, and if you, the thing with like hand making anything, um, nothing is the same. You know, I, I can make six handles and all of them, yeah, they're going to be the same length. They're going to have the same shape. But if you put each one of them in your hand, they're all going to feel a little bit different. And, you know, that's to be expected. Some woods are harder than others, so they sand down easier. Um, 
some grain. Uh, I don't know if people know this or not, but grain runs in both directions. So you could uh, be either sanding or using a draw knife and the, the grain decides to turn on you and you can get chip outs or whatever, and then you have to compensate for that. So the point of all this is whenever you're in production mode on anything, making duplicates is actually very difficult to do. Um, so I started, I changed, I got a little printout um, of whenever I sent out an axe. And, I, and like one of the first couple statements is, everything is made by hand. You can expect some variance between each handle. I mean, just trying to cover my ass, but. I mean, it's, it's totally true. Um, so anyway, six trophies all done. Um, I got, I got those out. Uh, the guys from Covington, Flynex Covington, he actually came to the shop and hung out and picked them up. So that was very, very nice of them to do that. I really appreciate it because I've been so freaking busy here lately that even just running, running down there to their shop and dropping them off. I mean, it's just, it's, it would eat up hours and hours because I wouldn't just go down there and drop them off and come back and you know, go hang, uh, go hang out, probably have a beer. He, oh, he did. He brought me a freaking beer. Like <laughs> this beer thing is getting out of control, man. Like he brings me, he's like, Oh, I heard you like voodoo ranger. <laughs> yep. Thank you. I was three days off the sauce. Uh, and then I was like, well, I guess I, I, I guess I got to drink it now. Jeez. And speaking of beer, uh, what is it? I think very deeply. Is that, is that what his name was? Yes, uh, big, big shout out to him. So we're always talking about beer on here. He sent, sent me a Fremont interurban India pale ale, sent me a six pack. I had it. It's really good. Um, so thank you. Uh, I, I don't. I don't want to ruin anything else. I will, we'll just leave it at that. I just wanted to say thanks for the for the beer. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, then we I, should probably we should probably tell the people though about the story <laughs> with this beer. So <clears throat> just to recap on this, um, Roy got his six pack from I think very deeply. My six pack and Killer's six pack are actually in or excuse me out for delivery today. Um, just because of schedules and timing and everything like that, the original game plan was is that I'm going to try that IPA on the podcast. So we were hoping to do that right now. Obviously, it didn't work because it is in in route. Um, for any of you guys, I mean, hopefully there's some new people out there. Maybe you missed this. Um, <laughs> not really sure. Roy is a big IPA guy. Loves him. Mm-hmm. He's all he's all about him. Um, I let's just say am not an IPA guy at all whatsoever. Uh, basically because I do not enjoy drinking camel piss. So the challenge then was given, Mike, listen, you got to try this IPA. It is going to change your mind. Yep. I, I said, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I'm game. I mean, I'll try them. I'm not one of those guys. Be like, oh, I'm absolutely not going to even try it. Hey, I'll try it. We'll see what happens next podcast. What, what is that? A Fremont? Fremont beer? Yeah. It's from Seattle. So he, he's from the West Coast up there. So I just want to quickly read this just to put it in some context. Um, so he sends me a message. Um, he said, are you going to wait to taste it? Uh, are you going to wait for a taste test with them, or did you already try it? And I was like, dude, it, yeah, I got it last night. Pretty damn good. Thanks again for the kind gesture. And then he goes on to say, think it's drinkable enough for Miller to like an IPA? 
And I said, my response was, Miller's going to hate it. <laughs> so I can't wait to, to hear your on-air response whenever you get this beer. I thought it was pretty darn good. Hey, so number one, I thank him for sending the beer in the first place and putting it out there for us and listening to the podcast. Hey, I'll try it. I will uh, give my 100% honest opinion, then. I won't sugarcoat anything or hide anything. If it's awesome, maybe so, he has converted me. Zero so percent chance of that. But <laughs> here's what here's my take on the beer. Um, you definitely get the hoppy flavor on the back end. But once I had one full one and I was working on the second one, it just, it kind of disappeared and it was way less bitter. So don't just try one beer. You need to have at least two of them. And it, it does lose its bitter, super hoppy. It's not over the top. It's not a hazy. So there's not real citrusy at all. Um, I, I did make the comparison to the all day IPA and I was like, Miller couldn't even drink that. He hates that. So, and that's like, it's like sub 5% IPA. We will see. We will definitely see. But like I said, I thank him for sending that to us. And uh, we will see how it all goes next week. But All right. So after I had the beer, um, I worked on Willie B's Double Bit. He sent me a, a beautiful King Cutter beveled uh, Michigan pattern. He'd started working on it for a customer, and it was just the – the edges were just all jacked up and he was trying to profile them out. And if you have a, if you have a head that is the edges are really super jacked and you don't have the equipment to do it, it could be a daunting task. Uh, and it can also uh, discourage you from buying that head in the first place. Um, just because you look at it and you're like, Oh God, that's going to take me a long time to fix that or whatever. Um, but if you have the right equipment, uh, it's, it's no trouble at all. Even reprofiling, if someone's ground down way far up on the toe or way down on the heel, uh, you could take a two by 72 and, and put a 36 grit, uh, belt on there and just hog that off and reprofile it and then turn it back over, grind in your bevels and you're good to go. And on a new belt, doesn't matter who makes the belt, um, those ceramic belts, man, Dude, they just cut through steel like mad crazy. Um, so I, I I did his edges up for him. I need to deliver it for, to him tomorrow. And then also I started on Council, a, a legitimate Hudson Bay U.S. issued um, head. I'm going to do a hang on that uh, 24-inch handle for a customer. <clears throat> I love it whenever customers say, I'm looking for something to fit on my wall. What do you, what do you think? And he was looking for a boy's axe. Um, and someone else was also looking for a Hudson Bay. So I was just kind of playing, you know, playing both customers. Hey, this is what I have. This is the cost. And, uh, that guy bid on it and I sold it to him. So it's going to turn out really freaking nice. I love those Hudson Bays. Um, the U.S. issued uh, Legitimuses. I, I just think they're awesome. Um, it's got a good stamp on it. The le- 
a couple letters on the Legitimus are gone. It was a, kind of a weak stamp on that side. It hadn't been sanded, but just kind of weak. And, and that's kind of typical um, where you get these stamps and there are pieces of it that are missing. And it's just because it was it was a weak stamp. It hasn't been worn away. It hasn't been washed out or anything. They just didn't give the full pressure whenever they stamped it. Um, which, which it's fine, but whatever. Um, so that, that project's going to be really cool. And then an existing customer of mine sent me a bunch of axes. He, he sent me a Black Raven 2-2 cruiser. He wants a, wants me to do a full restoration on that. He sent me a pre-30 Black Raven. Looks like a peeling pattern, reversible pattern, and it's only got the two stamped on it. And it, it feels like it's a 4-2. I mean, that thing is freaking heavy. So I'm going to do a full, full workup on that. And then he sent me two Pulaski's. Uh, one's a world's finest and one's a Flint edge. So I'm going to do a, a full restoration on one of the Pulaski's. And then he wants me just to, uh, put a handle on one. I don't, can't remember if he wanted me to do a sheath or not, but it's going to be a, a working Pulaski. So, um, that's, uh, it, apparently he does trail work and trail crew stuff. Uh, so that's really awesome that he's actually going to use uh, the Pulaski. And I would like to tell the Pulaski story at one point, not on this episode, but if you all don't know the the origins of the Pulaski, it's a pretty fascinating story. And having lived up in Wallace, Idaho, um, outside of Wallace, Idaho, that's where um, Ed Pulaski was from, and that's the center of uh, the whole story of where the Pulaski originated. So we'll save that for another episode because we got some other, other stuff we want to talk about today. So I'll lead into our topic, um, based on the stuff that happened on Saturday. So if you all are following me on Instagram, you know that I went to an auction, um, on Saturday. There were lots of pieces. I think there were, what was it like 30, 30 axes? I think there must have been 30 axes. Um, and a bunch of other advertising stuff. So the topic that we're going to get into is uh, next level collecting and what that looks like and um, kind of, I don't know, what I just guess what it looks like. And so the, the, the things that I got, I got several axes. Um, I think we got nine axes. Uh, it was... An, a Mennonite auction. So there were lots of Mennonites there. Uh, and I think what was it? Chris said, Oh, if that auction was going on by my, my place, everything would go super expensive. Cause there were like, there were almost like 40 guns there too. So every, everything was pretty freaking high, but whenever you go to these auctions, it, it is truly an experience. And I, I posted a couple of stories, um, it's very, very fast paced. And what I talked about last podcast or one, one a couple episodes ago, um, about the format of the auction. So it can be a single piece. It could be a lot for one money or it could be a lot. Uh, it's called choice and everything that they put up was choice, which sucks because on every, every lot, um, it was two axes and it seemed like, like they didn't know what the axes were. Um, and they would put one good axe with one not so good axe, or maybe they were comparable to one another, but 
it seemed like more times than not, someone was bidding up this lot for these two axes, um, and they wanted the one that I didn't want. So what happens, it goes up to like, let's just say 50 bucks. And someone has, so if you win that auction, you get the choice of either two objects, either two axes for 50 bucks. So you could buy one for 50 or both of them for a hundred dollars. So the way that things were going, one guy would win the auction for $50 and they would say, anyone else want it for 50 bucks? And if not, then they would start it back down to like $5 and it would go up and up and up. So you're, you're gambling. Do I want to see if someone is going to pay more for that or they're going to pay less for it? Or do I just snatch it up for 50 bucks just because it's a sure thing? So uh, choice lots, they can be good, they can be bad. In this instance, they did not play to our favor. But collecting at the next level, we got three really cool bluegrass display pieces. We got a bluegrass router bit case. It's got the plexiglass in it. It's got all of the... The little hooks and everything is labeled. It's got the beautiful logos on there. A big, beautiful bluegrass sign that says catalog ordering department. And then another bluegrass carpenter square display rack, which has gorgeous graphics on it. So not axe related. I mean, not axes, obviously, but very axe related stuff. So whenever you're collecting at the next level, what does that look like? And Mr. Miller is the prime example of next level collector. <clears throat> hey, before I forget, do you know what an Amish woman dreams about at night? Two Mennonites. <laughs> two, two Mennonites. <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, sorry, I couldn't. I had to put that one in there. That's an old joke that I knew. So, that sounds um, that sounds really really interesting. So that whole process, uh, what you're describing there, that would probably frustrate me if I was there because I'd be like, I don't want this other piece and whatever. So I think that that's a really good representation of how how that works. Sometimes it goes your way, sometimes it doesn't, and that's just sort of what you got to take whenever the situation arises. But um, and it only takes one person to jack up your whole plan, right? Exactly. Right. And and sure shit, there was a kid there, and you know, like if anything was stamped king cutter through the roof. Um, I did get a little bluegrass half hatchet for a decent price, which I was surprised of. But anything, um, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know why this kid was buying this stuff up. And some of these people, man, they spent a lot of money on a lot of different things. Um. And it's also the timing when when the lots come up throughout the auction. So if it happens early on, people are you know they're willing to to put up some money because, well, I mean it's at the beginning of the auction. You wait till the end of the auction and and, and whatever you're interested in comes up. Most people have spent a lot of money, um, so items at the end of auctions tend to go cheaper. But just need to be. It, again, it's a huge time commitment. I talked about that the other day. Um, we we got all of the axes. We got the big sign, the little display, and we were waiting on the router bit cabinet. And we waited for an hour. 
And finally, I went up to the guy. He was picking stuff off the table. And I was like, hey, dude, can you please put that uh, bluegrass router display up there? And thankfully, he did. And and at that time, it, like, it was an hour into it waiting on it. And I was like, I'm getting this freaking thing. I don't care what the price is. So I, I was in a little bidding war. And like a bidding war happens within like 30 seconds. And it just keeps ratcheting up. So I might have overpaid for it. But it was a lot of fun, and it'll look good in the house. I got lots of bluegrass stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. I got lots of bluegrass stuff here in the house, related stuff. So if we talk about next-level collecting then, and obviously we're talking about axes and anything axe-related, mm-hmm. so what, what do you think that means then? So, like, if you ask, you know, Johnny Collector or somebody in the sort of into axes, but maybe not hardcore, maybe he owns, I don't know, half a dozen or dozen, like if you say next level collecting to them, like what do you think that that means to them? They probably the most, most synonymous thing would be the, the boxes that were shipped in them, that axes were shipped in. Um, you can find them, especially you can find them on eBay, but man, they're really expensive out there. Um, but I think that's probably the most, most recognized axe related thing. What do you think about that? I would agree with you. I, I would might say catalogs then, too. Um, it seems to me that catalogs sort of had their heyday, I'm going to say, about four or five years ago. There seemed to be a little influx of catalogs. Now you don't hmm. see them that often. Yeah. And, and you do see the boxes pretty consistently, and you'll see different boxes. You'll see the Kelly Flint Edge. You'll see the, the Vulcan mm-hmm. boxes. Um, a couple of the plum. other Kelly lines, things plum. like plum, plum double light boxes, stuff like that. Yeah, I got um, a few of those. Uh, like I just said, Lippincott. So there's the different boxes that do come around at, at, at different times. Um, I saw a Winchester box this week. Really? Yeah. Um, a Winchester was, axe, axe box? It was, it just said Winchester on it. So you could, you could make an argument that it was for, I don't know what the, Thousands and thousands of items that Winchester put their name on. Yeah. Very similar to King Cutter, very similar to Bluegrass, etc. So I still thought it was pretty cool because it, it was old. It you know had some wear and tear, but um, I would think that th- that those two things sort of come to mind first, at least for me, whenever we're talking about. All right, so what's that next level step if we are talking about axes, collecting them, and like just the whole axe sort of world? Well, the thing with the boxes is. Um they're attainable and they're affordable um, and they look cool. They got, uh, if you can, you can find some of them with really good graphics on there and, and it's all about, you know, the condition of the box and what it actually says on there. Um, Cause if it, if you can barely make out a logo like plum or something, yeah, I'd pass on it. But like if you, some of them are very, you know, they're very specific about, where it's going, what the axe is, what pattern it is, what um, what kind of I'm looking at one right here on my on my shelf. It says fire fire hardened handles on there, so that's cool. And I got another one that says uh, it's a Kentucky pattern. So that I mean, of course I'm going to buy that because I live in Kentucky. Um, those line catalogs. Every time I see them, and I see more bluegrass line catalogs than I see any other catalogs. They are so freaking expensive, and I think 
whenever you're looking at these catalogs that are like five, especially bluegrass, because they made everything, well, they offered everything under the freaking sun. And whenever you're looking at it, there are probably a dozen pages at most of axes in there that they carried. So you're buying 500 pages for 12 pages of axes. No doubt. And, it, and to your point, it's not like it was a 20-page catalog. Like Belknap was no. the Amazon of the day, right? So you get that catalog, and you're like, I can't even look through all this. Yeah, It's, it's just mind-blowing the amount of stuff that you could get from one place back then, have it sure. shipped to you, and, um, you know, relatively – it didn't look like it, it like it took that long to have that stuff shipped to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just to be able to go through all that, and then you're like, oh, yeah, there's eight pages of axes in here. Yep. And, and three of those are hatchets. <laughs> yeah, lots of half hatchets and roofing <laughs> hatchets and whatever. But you get some of the older catalogs. Um, they got some uh, – uh, they got the thoroughbred in there. Um I, oh, um, I'm drawing a blank. But the point is, is you're you're buying, you're 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 spending a lot of money for not a lot of stuff. Um, so the other the other big advertising piece that you have been totally kicking up on are the are the the racks. Yeah. So the racks. They hold a special piece to me, like the majority of the history does, because one of the things that I like to imagine is these guys and gals back in the day, quote unquote, you go, you go rolling into a store, hardware store, whatever that looks like, and here's these axes, and you're going to have A, B, C, D, E, F, G to be able to pick from. What am I doing from a Kelly perspective, a man perspective, whatever it is to be able to like, hey, bam. Here's my product, right? Mm -hmm. So you have those, the plum racks, right? You have that plum one rack that I have now. Awesome. Like I would probably lose my mind if I walked into a store and that was on there and there was fresh, what we call now new old stock axes sitting in there. Like that was common. That that Mm -hmm. was how it rolled back in the day. Like now I would lose my mind. I'd be like a giddy little schoolgirl and just be, oh, baby, baby. (laughs) That. And then you have later. So you have later that Collins axe rack. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's not like, I don't even know if I consider that an axe rack. That was mostly for malls, sledges, stuff like that. Yeah. It had your axes on there, but that shows then like that, that, uh, process in time that went to that like seventies era, right? Where I'm just throwing stuff on that rack. You have that snow and Neely board, which is a very interesting because it actually has little tidbits written on there about each piece. Mm-hmm. Given a little bit of the history, which they didn't know that that's what they were doing at the time. And then you have that 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 new piece I just got, the True Temper Axe metal. It's just a metal bifold, and you would put probably six axes on there, and there you are. They're displayed. Sure. No frills. There it is. And obviously that's later, so you're probably looking at like 60s, maybe into the early 70s there. Like, I just want to go back in time so bad and just walk into one of those stores and see that and just lose my mind. You're such a weirdo. I am. I am. But, <laughs> but those are the things that that really interest me because then those those tell the tale of what was going on at that time, what the mindset was, how are we going to market that axe? Because not a lot of people are like, oh, so have you ever seen this stamp or that stamp? You see a lot of these old stamps like back in the day when they were trying to sell 
that axe, which is basically the automobile of the day, it was all about advertising. It was yep. all about marketing. It was all yep. about that name. And we've, we've talked about that, right? You know, Chip Slinger and yep. you know, Kelly Perfect and, oh, look at this. Copper King. Copper King. Look at this Black Raven and this. Red oh Warrior. My, oh my gosh. You know, why? It's an axe, man. You're going to go out and you're going to chop wood with it. Okay. Let's not make it harder than what it is. But, oh, got this intricate, you know, we got an Indian on here. We got a Raven on here. We got some guy holding the freaking hammer in a crown. Like, I know. Why? Like, that was how it was, you know? And I just, it really amazes me that that's how they did that for, if you're really just talking straight up logistics, a pretty simple tool, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like your, your basic compound tool that's been around since who knows how long. And then if we're talking next level, then you get into all the other stuff. So you bring up the crates, mm-hmm. you bring up the catalogs. There's all then the prints that are in magazines and the advertising. So Norland comes to mind with that, obviously, later on. But you had all the other ones, Kelly and what they were doing. Um, the pictures that come out with some of the different things. And some of the pictures sort of make sense, and some of the pictures don't. So I will put this out on the on the Legitimus Instagram page. There's that calendar from Man Edge. And what's oh, it Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bunch as of a, women. As a women in this – in what is it? You know, they're looking at some sort of piece of paper reading it. But we're talking about managed tool company selling axes. Yeah. It has Makes, nothing to do with axes. Right. They so, look like a bunch of old hennies. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, and there's, there's a write up on the back, which then you get into the wording and the yeah, phrasing yeah. that you don't get anymore. So you have something like that. Um, you get into the, uh, the different magazines, the booklets. So now here's a couple things. If nobody has seen these yet, that's an old Rixford tag that would actually go on one of the axes whenever you bought it. Those are called hang tags. And then it has the, hey, we're not going to replace. Oh, look at that. Yeah, look at that. We're not going to replace it if it's broken because Mike dropped it on the concrete floor. And here, 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 here. Right. These are Those. void of all warranty because you're a knucklehead. Right. There's an old Collins uh, magazine page that actually came from the Collins Museum. So these are pretty common. They're out there. Yeah, yeah. You get then, this will be maybe near and dear to your heart. There's the old Belknap want book. What? So what year is that? The, um, I don't know if it has a gear in here. Let's see. But it has the, the write-up. That's a hardback. Yeah. So that so for the listeners out there, this is not the line catalogs that you see from the 50s. This looks much older than that. Um. The ones from the 50s and 60s, they look like uh, a freaking Bible. I mean, they are huge. They weigh like 40 pounds, and you could knock someone out with them. That's all that's in there. So you could write in there whatever you wanted, and then in the back, which I find very very interesting, they have some of the different listings. So, oh, just in case if you're wondering, here's the pipe fittings list. <laughs> um, this is if it's galvanized. You have a different list for that. A machine bolt list with cut thread or rolled thread. You have stove bolts, lag mm-hmm. bolts. I mean, just stuff that obviously we never even think about now. Um, so the problem, problem, I'm saying this with air quotes, with this stuff, um, and I'll, I'll tie this in with, with Killinger's purchase, is if you are so honed in and focused on a company or a line, um, and something comes up 
this this stuff doesn't come up very often. Um, yeah, like we talked about crates do here and there, but if you're looking for some pretty obscure stuff, and, you know the, the saying goes, you got to buy it when you see it. So Chris Killinger just purchased a Norland Voyager. Is that right? I think that's what it was. Uh, I got to look it up. I think that's, I think that's right. It was one of the little like hatchet guys. Yep, it was the Norland Voyager, and um, it was actually in a clamshell packaging package. So we've all seen the blister pack with the the cardboard backing with that the little hatchet in there um, with all the graphics and everything with the cellophane, but the one that Killinger just got, it's actually a clamshell. It says the Voyager Hudson Bay Axe, and it's um, it has a plastic covering just on the head and the interesting thing about this is that it says um it's by easy sales manufacturing inc out of gardenia california it's got a bark it's got a barcode on it and it, and I'll, I'll just read um the back of it. it says the voyager axe is a favorite of campers hunters and hikers the 14-ounce high-carbon steel head is ground-tempered and, and hand-polished with 11-inch curve with 11-inch curved hickory handle. And here's the interesting thing: when not in use, keep axe head in plastic clamshell protector. Wow, it's about the worst I, thing you could do. <laughs> I know it, but this thing is so freaking cool. Um, it is. The essence of new old stock, the clamshell still has the staples in it. It's got the beautiful sticker on it with the guy going down in the canoe. And Killinger made a very, very good point. And, you know, he's dialed into this line more than anyone else that I know. And it's just stamped Norland. And this is clearly late, late, late. So this, this, this is after the blister pack. This is probably the last hurrah of this run, and it only says Norland. So what we can surmise from that is that the genuine Norland came first. So if you get a head that's stamped Norland only, it appears that that head was manufactured at a later date. Fascinating. It makes sense, but those are the things that we need to... You know, from an axe community and axe historical perspective, and this is one of the things that I love about it, is that you get guys that are going to be able to make contributions like that on so many different levels. Yeah. Because there's just so much stuff out there. Like, how do you, you know, you don't know everything, so you need the help and everything like that. That is, um, I know that he was excited for that, man, because uh, that it's putting all the pieces together. It's going to help to answer the question from that like mini mall that he had. Yeah. I was able to get my hands on and I was like, this, as far as I can tell, it looks legit. Like this sticker was not, you know, just Mm -hmm. put on there last week and we shipped it out or anything like that. That sticker had been on there. You can see the residue actually underneath the sticker where it rolled up a little bit. So maybe then, and he sort of alluded to this a little bit, maybe this newer piece that he just got helps to then validate 
that piece. So maybe that came from this uh, yeah. company out in California. So there, there's a more to the story with that. And I remember reading or talking to somebody about that. And I don't know the exact specifics on who was making those and for how long and everything, but I know killer will be able to get to the bottom of it. And, um, I don't know. Maybe if he's nice to me, we'll we'll invite him back on and he'll come on the show. <laughs> so but, we'll see. But it, so it's just it, it's a great piece. It's it's awesome. And and this falls squarely into the category of next level collected man because if you if you're buying something that will never ever get used, never even get out of the packaging, it's just going to go on the shelf and go look. Here's a this is a time capsule. That's next level shit right there. It um, is. Yeah, he's screwed now. He can never take it out of there. Yeah, you never <laughs> take it out ever. Like, and it's got, it's got one, two, three, four, five, like six of those big like industrial staples. Like it, it is a thousand percent pristine. Um, and it's so funny that we're like fixated on an axe that was probably made in the eighties, um, but. It fills in the timeline. It answers some questions. And again, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's like a hard stop on what was going on right then and there. It's, it's, it's irreplaceable. It's amazing. I, I tell you, if I talk about, you know, wanting to be back in a hardware store back in like, you know, the late 1800s, mm-hmm. I would have, I would have really liked and enjoyed to have been with killer whenever he saw that <laughs> online. Like what did that look like? Like what was his reaction? Like did he go giddy schoolgirl? Was he Dude. like just throwing out like every kind of swear word that you could ever see? Like just imagine being the guy like trying to bid against him for that. Yeah. Like, you're you're gonna it's you're you're buying it's a not, house. Yeah. It's not you're buying happen. a house by the time that it's over. So it's not gonna happen. Very uh very and interesting. for the record, Chris Killinger can scream really freaking loudly. Um, that dude's got some fucking pipes on him. <laughs> he does. He does, especially whenever it's like a woman. Which we know. Oh, my. Whenever he's making fun of me. Like. <laughs> <laughs> All so, right. th- so um, uh, going back to Axe Racks, uh, Axe Racks, excuse me, um, that that plum uh, Axe Rack. Uh, that has the metal. It looks like a, big, a whole bunch of horseshoes on it. The one that I've got. So those come up pretty frequently. Um, but again, like the the plum rack that you just got here recently. You look at that one, and what's it made out of? It's like two by fours, all notched out. Right. It's got beautiful graphics on it. Fast forward thirty years, twenty years, I don't know. Then you get uh, a wire rack that holds a. I don't know how many heads or how many axes it holds, maybe six or something like that. Yeah. And, and and they make different variations of it for single bits and double bits. And it's only got, so it's got um, big heavy gauge wires. And then it's got a, a piece of, I don't know, some sort of metal, like tin with painted with graphics on it. Fast mm-hmm. forward 20 more years and you get your Collins rack that looks like a glorified Erector set. I mean, that thing... <laughs> <laughs> it's like held held together with the worst like little nuts and bolts and whatever and like you could you, if you had a uh, an adjustable wrench you could totally take that whole thing apart. I think it might, might be held on with some rivets or whatever um, where the the big graphics are. But 
just like the axe, all the advertising stuff was just how do we save money? How do we cut costs? And um, I mean, everything was all related, just trying to keep the axe industry afloat. Um, so anyway, I, I think it's awesome just looking at the progression or it's not even progression. It just slowly, slowly dies off and everything gets cheaper and cheaper and, but it's still super cool. Still love it. Well, I mean, it directly ties to the importance of the tool in business and in life. Sure. Versus, you know, 1870s, 1880s, 1900 versus what was going on post World War II. Chainsaw takes over various other forms of automation, machinery, blah, blah, blah. And the axe becomes, you know, second tier, third tier, really, made for, mm-hmm. you know, basically then your axes then became, they sort of morphed into your, into your malls and your, in your wedges and stuff like that. That's what your more, your modern guy sort of identifies with the axe. Like now you don't see any of that stuff. So, but it's, <laughs> it's just amazing the amount of products that you would see with like an axe name on there. So again, there is a, an actual axe head calendar from a mm-hmm. hardware store out of Tennessee dated 1899. When's the last time that you're ever going to see something like that? You got the quotation books. Yeah. You know, Hey, here's our prices. You got, this is something that really interested me is your patents. Here's your different patents for axe products. Oh, yeah, yeah. What they look mm-hmm. like. Inlay bit, outlay bit. Now, what's really interesting to me for this particular one, I'll post a picture of this. So it says United States Patent Office, Charles W. Hubbard of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Now, this is 1891. Okay. The interesting thing about Pittsburgh, there's no H. Ends in G which there is a little bit of a controversy. Not many people know it about the actual spelling of Pittsburgh. Really? Originally, there was no H on Pittsburgh, and at some point an H got moved to it. And there's actually been petitions very recently to move Pittsburgh back to Pittsburgh with no H. What? I've never heard of that. Yeah, so I can't even imagine it. It You want to talk about something that would feel foreign, just putting Pittsburgh with no H. But supposedly that's how it went, but... This here talks about the actual manufacturer of axes patented on January 20th, 1891. And it talks about the inlaying of the bit and why it's superior to other methods. It's basically the same thing as what everybody else was doing, but they mm-hmm. want to get their own patent on it. Um, but very, very interesting. A couple of these other pieces then that I just posted. <clears throat> this is so cool. That is a stock certificate from Managed oh. Tool Company. Cash that bitch in, yo. I'm going to try and send that to Trooper Hermatis or whatever their name is down in El Mexico. And then... Pollos maybe, Hermanos? Maybe I'll write myself a blank check from Managed. <laughs> Do it. Do it. I'd, I'd, take that, I'd take that to the bank today. Right. Um, then there's the weird stuff that axes are either in or on what that looks like. So again, I had posted some of these. These are the old original printing blocks used for yes. catalogs, um, stationary, things like that. These are awesome. You got the wood block with the copper top. The attention to detail on these is, is unbelievable. Like, there's nothing close to these now. 
sure. that people were doing. Any idea what that is? I can barely see it, Miller. It looks like a... It's a true uh, temper belt buckle. What? Yeah. True temper belt buckle. Who would I ever thought that you'd ever see one of those? I've yeah. seen a, I've seen a true temper, uh, casting reel, probably from the fifties or so, local junk store in the original box. But you see true, mm-hmm. like, true temper, they, they put their name on freaking everything. Everything. Uh, everything. They possibly could. I mean, you thought like King Cutter and, and Belknap were bad, man. They had their name literally on everything. Yes. Um, and then, uh, this thing is pretty cool. Not a lot of people have seen this. This is uh, from Manage Tool. 1893, and this sort of pertains to right now. This was published on Thanksgiving Day, 1893, and it's called A Tale of Woe. And what? It's a, po- it's a poem that talks about what is going on in the axe industry in 1893. All right, so you know that people listening to this episode, either one of two things is going to happen. One, they're going to be asleep, or two, <laughs> they're going to be saying – how in the hell? What is that? Yeah. How in the hell did Mike Miller acquire this stuff? I'm not the only one there. I know a couple other guys that have that. But what that is is that that they made this poem that's basically bashing American Axe and Tool that came in in 1889 with the Big Axe Trust, brought all the companies together. Mm-hmm. And at that time, there was a couple of the mans that stayed out. There was a few of the mans that went in. Didn't. Basically, what happened, there was too many chiefs and not enough Indians. The man boys that were in there didn't like how things were going, how the profits were being divvied up, how the progress of the industry was going. So then they bolt. Mm. So now you had basically the American Axe Trust that is slowly falling apart four years, five years into what's going on. And you had these man guys that are all trying to regroup in that Mill Hall, Glassport, Belafonte, uh, Lewistown area. And they're all trying to get their stuff back together. So it, it, the poem, I won't read the poem because, yes, it will put everybody to sleep. <laughs> it is an awesome read, though. Just just if you're into that language and how they spoke, it is an awesome read. I might do it at some point for everybody, but we'll have to do it at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, but it just <laughs> it just goes to show, like what, like, what is going on with axes? Like, why is there all this stuff? If you're talking about next-level collecting, who in their right mind would have one of those? Oh, well, I know this guy, Mike, that has one because, you know, he's in just out of this world axe head and he's going to have it. Or then you could have yourself a Robert Mann paperweight. Like who in their right mind would have an axe paperweight? I've got one. I've got a bluegrass paperweight. (laughs) I mean, it's it's unbelievable, but it just goes to show the importance of the axe, what it had in life and what it had in industry. And like, I don't know, like, what would we equate that to now? Like, would it be like. That is really cool. There's my, there's my paperweight. Oh, uh, I'm sorry not to cut you off, but I just thought of this something other, some other weird axe related thing that I have. So OVB, um, that was a line. Um, and I have an OVB ashtray. So it doesn't say anything about axes or anything on it, but it's got the, you know, the OVB, the big beautiful, um, scrolly everything. Um, but, yeah, it's just totally freaking on everything, everywhere. And and the interesting thing, um, so once you get into collecting axes, and let's just say you're at a, a flea market, and there are rows and rows and rows. 
here's what ha- here's the progression of what happens. First off, you run through, and what are you looking for? You're looking for handles because on handles there are heads. Okay, so that's like beginner. Like you're running, you're looking for handles. Then you're like, okay, I've got 50 axes. I need to slow down. I'm going to go not only look for handles, but I'm going to slow down and look at the tables because there might be some heads on there. So then you pick up a couple of heads here and there over the next few months. And then you're like, well, now I've got 100 axes or however many axes you have. I want some really cool axe-related stuff. And that's when you really start to slow down and you really start to look at all the boxes that people have for sale, all of the little knick-knack bullshit stuff that are on tables for $5, a dollar. Uh, sometimes you sift through that stuff and you might find a gem. I found this little uh, bluegrass paperweight at the 127 yard sale. And all it is, it's a piece of glass and it's just got uh, the, it says, uh, it's got the, the big badge, bluegrass badge on it. Um, and then a piece of felt on the back of it. I got this for, it says uh, $15, but I paid 10 bucks for it at the 127 yard sale. You, you can't find this stuff anymore at all. And then uh, I got that plum rack at the 127 yard sale also. I got that for $75. And those things typically go for some pretty decent money on eBay. Um, oh, yeah. So the, the thing of it is, is you just... You just start to slow down and you want, you want to, and I say this a lot with my Instagram account, um, to build a lifestyle around the thing that you're interested in. So if you're interested in axes, at some point, you're going to have a bunch of axe related stuff. Or if you like a company like I like Bluegrass, you're going to have router. <laughs> A router bit display because it's got that big beautiful logo and if you look at it closely what's in the logo of the bluegrass at, at some different eras it's a double bit axe some of them have it some of them don't um but it's just a beautiful super cool logo it's close to home so i'm a big bluegrass fan well you bring up a really good point there because now if you get into next level collecting Depending on what that particular stamp looks like on that axe, you know, some of them over the course of time had very similar looking stamps, but they varied ever so slightly, mm-hmm. maybe depending on the era that they were made in. So like Collins with the Legitimus comes to mind. Um, Man Edge with how they had Man Edge stamped into their axes. That comes to mind. True American line, stuff like that. So now it's like, okay, so I have a Collins Legitimus. All right. Is well it- then how old is it? And that's one of the questions I get all the time. Well, all right. How many points are in the crown? That's a whole other discussion. We're not getting into that right now. Right, um, right, right. Here's something interesting that I found out this weekend that I didn't really know. So you'll have Collins, and sometimes they will say Hartford on mm-hmm. it. Yep. Found out that's basically because they were trying to identify with the bigger seaport. It was more recognizable to the shippers that were coming in. And the people that were coming in buying goods, trading goods, Hartford was more of a recognizable location than Collinsville. Mm-hmm. Now, they only used Hartford up to a certain point, which appears to be 1936. So anything Ooh. anything that says Hartford for right now, and this is not, again, written in absolute stone, but it would appear that anything written that has Hartford on it is going to be pre-1936. 
which is very interesting. So then that helps you with that overall dating and stuff like that. Again, you can tie it together because usually the Hartford pieces will say Castile on them. Uh-huh. Castile is obviously going to be earlier, which would make sense with the Hartford. So again, if you're talking next level, well, I got a Collins, but now I got a Collins that says Hartford. Well, now mm-hmm. I got a call, now I got a Collins that says Castile. Well, now I got a Collins that says Collins, Castile, and Hartford. Now I got a Collins that says Collins, Castile, Hartford, and Legitimus. Like it just, you can take that level and, and you, it, you can go however far you want to go with it. So, and you can take all of those elements and put them on different heads, which have different values. And all of that information that you just said is on that Seagrave fire axe that I have, which makes it really, really valuable. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. And it would fall in line with the timeline because that, that would be about when those Seagraves were in their, their heyday. So do you remember we, you and I had this conversation with, with uh, Killinger and Ryan Lambrecht at uh, Leaf's place. Do you remember that? We were outside and we were talking about the different stamps because Ryan had a bunch of Connecticut legitimuses. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we were and we were trying to put this timeline together. Um, and we, we you can make speculations of well, it's got more stuff on there. It's got to be older. Um, and it kind of follow falls in line with that logic that we just talked about with Norland. As you get later and later on, the stamps become less ornate, less detailed, less information. I mean, just look at Collins in general. Like it went from that big, beautiful shield with the the intricate hammer and crown, and then it just got distilled all the way down and yeah some lines had the legitimacy on it and some didn't you look at stuff that's coming out of the man era it's just collins with a square around it like done nothing else mm-hmm. no so. doubt and it shows the like the deprogression of the whole entire axe and what it meant and everything like that and it's it's place so um what i found with collins not to get off subject but if you want to try and date them you can actually date them better by the stamps that were used on the machetes that were used at the same time because they were into that, into the South American market. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was their ultimate demise is because they lost North American share to Kelly and Plum and Mann and everybody else, but they owned the South American market. That's why they had the name Legitimus in the first place because it meant, right, genu- right. It meant genuine. So. If you really want to be able to try and, and get a better handle on how to date them, you need to look at those machetes and the dates that they use because the the historical information that is known about the machetes and when they were used, they were the majority of them were numbered. So you mm-hmm. had hatchet. One of the guys that posted that one that was on there that that beautiful number one twenty seven. You yeah. can actually research that back and know when and what it was used for. So if you can take that logo and if that sort of matches up with one of the ones that's on your axe, it gives you a better idea of where right. you're at than like what you'll find with some of the other manufacturers that obviously weren't hot and heavy into the export game like Collins was. But that, to me, would verify and justify next-level collecting because now you got to tie all that stuff together as far as what's going on where, who, when, timeline, why, Everything like that. So what you think is just, oh, this is a Collins Legitimus. Well, you got a pretty big window there to try and figure that out, exactly what was going on. And if you can, I would say that that sort of goes, you know, next level. 
So, was that a pro tip? <laughs> pro tip. <laughs> hey, so one of the things that we're going to do every week is that we're going to have pro tips, and we're going to have these pro tips are going to be sponsored by various uh, groups, institutions, individuals, things like that. So that pro tip of the day right there was brought to you by fishingwithvance.com. If anybody out there is into fishing, that's fishing-related videos. You can find Fishing with Vance on Instagram, YouTube. Oh, my uh, God. You can get pro fishing tips on how to fish for bass, catfish, walleye, trout, anything in the world. So, pro tip of the day, brought to you by Fishing with Vance. Oh, my com. God. We're freaking idiots. <laughs> All right. So, um, the, so I uh, think – I think. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, go so ahead. So, I, I think this, this – leads into uh the question of the week is what is one thing that you hate being asked that's acts related so for me it's someone sends me an axe an unmarked axe and they ask a question in one of two ways well they'll ask one of two things one is what is it that's the number one question and two what year is it those are impossible questions to answer Absolutely impossible. Um, we talked early, early on that there were millions of axes made every single year. And you get into that mid, 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 uh, date range of things. Most of them didn't have stamps on them. They were just a uh, paper label and slap and go. And what we have to deal with today is it's an unmarked Michigan. That's all I can tell you. It could have been made in 1920. It could have been made in 1960. And it could have been made by Kelly, Collins, Plum, uh, Mann, anyone. There's your answer. So I hate, 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 hate getting that question. Hate is a strong word. I don't know I, if we, you know, but you'll, you will get those questions. And that is one that does come up a lot. And it's, I think though that that would be something that depending on if you are, let's say, new to the game, you're going to ask that question, right? So like if I'm, if I'm new to the axe game and I have some buck knife or a barlow knife, I'm going to like, any idea how old this is? And some knife guy is going to be like, ah, blah, 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 blah. Because he's already had to answer that question a million times and there probably isn't an answer depending. Now, again, there's, some of those knife companies have way better records than these axe companies. Yeah. But your point is very true. We do get that a lot. And probably more times than not, the answer is I'm not really sure, but I can give you a, I can give you a, a I don't know, like a 40 year window, which doesn't really answer your question, but that's about the best that we can do right now. So what's your stock answer? Let's just say someone sends you an unmarked, uh, Michigan double bit. It depends what, what? on my mood. Sometimes I'll be like, well, that's a 1972 man edge. <laughs> oh, you, you asshole. <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I would not do that. Again, normally I would, I would say exactly what I just did said. Um, depending on all these factors, it could be more than likely from start range A to end range B. However, I can't guarantee that, but that's the best I could do for you. Because you don't know. You just don't know. Now, there, there's a couple of them that sort of you can narrow down. The wood slashers, obviously, with the ridges help to get you narrowed mm -hmm. down. But you, you don't know. You can't say, hey, that's a 1967 
true temper wood slash. Like you can't do it, but you can get into a range, which I yeah. think for again the sheer numbers, that's about as good as you're gonna be able to do. Like we at this particular time, we don't have the exact year unless it's you know but a the, chemical axe or something like that. Sure, but the the. The thing that I find most frustrating about that is people associate age with value. And Chris Killinger just spent uh, a boatload of money. I don't know what the cost was. I would suspect a boatload of money on an axe that was made in 1980-ish. And I could take an unmarked Michigan that was made in 1930. I'd pay $10 for it, period, because you don't know anything else about it. I mean, it's a good head. It's good quality steel. But – who, who, who was it made by? When was it made? I have no idea. So yeah. to me, the value of that is $10, $15 versus something, you know, almost any Norland is worth a hundred bucks. I mean, just kind of a swag number. It's a Norland is a hundred bucks. And we know that they're at the end of the timeline. So age does not equate to value. Just, I, I can't stress that enough. It does not always, and the the one that you bring up is is the perfect example of that because who knows how many of those ones that he just got, number one, are actually in play. How many of them are still in the plastic? You know, so yeah. It's almost like watching an episode of American Pickers and they're talking about, hey, like here's this, but it comes in the original box, which then even adds right. more value to it, right? So there there is that point there, and you know there wasn't a million of those new guys in the plastic made per year. Like there was a Michigan pattern in mm-hmm. 1930, you know, 1928, 29, you know, there's millions of them made there versus, I don't know, probably maybe a thousand or so of those ones that were made in the plastic. So that, uh, that helps with that point. So if someone sends me something, um, like, uh, like that, that little hatchet that I got, um, just on Saturday, this uh, Kelly quality with the big K on there, and then you flip it over on the back, and it says Kelly Axe Manufacturing Company, Charleston, West Virginia. Okay, so those two things, like I, I can give you a definitive range on that, but if you give me an unmarked, if this didn't have any stamps on it, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, it, it if this did not have a stamp on it, I would say that that would, I would say that that was probably from the 60s. And I would be totally wrong because this is from early, um, so this is probably 19, when it, so when they would go to Charleston, um, what year was that? 07, 05, something like that, 04. Um, Four, I think, right? Is that when they went? No, somewhere around there. Somewhere around there. And we know that it's Kelly Axon Manufacturing Company. So we know that's pre-1930. So yes. there's our range. So 1904 to 1930. That's when this axe was made. And we could probably dial it in a little bit closer because we know that this is a unique stamp. It's a Kelly quality with the big K. That's not very common. On, on heads. Now, you look at all the stuff that you have and all the catalogs. That little logo is plastered kind of everywhere. I mean, it's awesome, but to find it on the head itself, I don't, this is the only one that I have. 
Yeah, they're not they're not that common. Um, because I think I told you that I thought when I first saw that it was a world's finest because you'd get the, you know, the Kelly world's finest. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're probably looking at about a 30 year window to be able to narrow that down to somebody that doesn't know. So you're, you're probably looking at like ni- 1904 or 05. Maybe they used it for a couple years to use up that, that die or that stamp after 1930 and everything was so roughly 30 years, give or take. And that's about as good as you can do. Yeah, that's that's it. And like some guys just lose their minds if that's the closest that you can get them, because that that it is what it is. Like it's you know we don't have the records that the knife knife companies have and some of the sword companies and things like that. They're just not there. So that's about the best that we could do, which is is frustrating. I know it has frustrated me on many an occasion. Like, ah, like I, I want to say it's nineteen ten, but I don't know. All right, so here we go. Um, just for a little clarification from Lamont, it says, it wasn't until 1903 that the company found uh, that location in Charleston, West Virginia. By 1904, a complete works had been constructed on the site. Um, blah, 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 blah. And then it says down here going on, the last of the company moved from Alexandria in 1904. So there we go. Yeah, 1904 then. All right. Yeah. Dang, we're good. High five. <laughs> I wonder what that was like trying to move all that stuff. I would have liked to have been involved in that Dude, all by railroad and trying to carry all the machinery. And whenever, whenever Nathan took me up there to the Alexandria plant, dude, like there are heads everywhere that are buried six inches below the surface, and there are huge freaking grinding stones just all in this big gully. They're just like, ah, fuck it, and <laughs> we're leaving it. It's too heavy. Um, but super, super cool. Just to see all that. So, um, that's the question that I do not like to get, um, simply because yet yesteryear tools is like I've just started copy and paste. If someone asks me what is this, I just send them yesteryear.com, or I go, you know what, try searching Google before you search me. Um, Sometimes I'll answer if there's like if it's got some stamps and stuff on it, but if it's a it's an unmarked, I'm just I, I just move on. So um, that's the thing that frustrates me the most. So let's wrap this up. Um, we got uh, an announcement for next week. We are going to have on a very special guest that's going to offer some insights and a very unique perspective on the Axe community as a whole. So you're not going to want to miss this one for next week. Um, it's not going to be um, – it's just going to be different and unique and very educational. So hang tight for next week's episode. Anything else, Miller? I think that's it. To your point, make sure that you guys are around for next week because it's going to put a spin on Axes as we know it and hopefully open up some eyes and really be able to put in some different perspectives. So I'm excited for it, uh, but otherwise, that is it from me. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. We appreciate it. Later.